Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. Welcome back. You're still listening to The Headspace with me, Nayel Pondwana. We are together until midnight and now we turn our attention to one of our own. Well, she may not be in South Africa right now as we speak. I'm told she's in New York, but she's still one of our own. One of the ones we're still proud of having. And guess what? Uh, she's a chancellor of the Nelson Mandela University in PE. I'm talking about the one and only Dr. Geraldine Jocelyn Fraser Mulligate. Good evening to you, Doctor, and thank you very much for agreeing to talk to us. Good evening, and good to be on your show this evening. It's it's an honor for me to speak to you, Madam. I was uh, uh, talking to some friends of mine, uh, reminding uh, um, them of what we used to say when we were uh, under your administration, while you were still a minister in South Africa. My mother would say, well, we're still waiting for that money that uh, Geraldine is going to put in. And these were the runs that you would authorize and you would speak about in your press conferences. So your name was quite quite uh, 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 commonplace at home, quite literally, in, in one way and the other. But I'm almost honored to speak to you tonight, madam. Now, let's let's celebrate Nelson Mandela, and we're most looking forward to celebrate Nelson Mandela with you because you knew him in your youth as well. So um, share with us how you met him. Well, I think like um, all South Africans and those my age and younger, we got to know Nelson Mandela, President Mandela Madiba, on and after his release from Robben Island. But let me take it back um, to a period before that. In 1979-1980, As you are aware, there was a major campaign around the release um, Nelson Mandela. And around that particular campaign, I think I must actually go back a little earlier. I think it goes to 1978, 77, 78. We actually, at high school at that point in time, reproduced uh, his doc speech as it was known at that point in time and popularized that speech uh, across high school at the Western Cape. So that was the first sort of bold, more public engagement. I mean, before that, like kids growing up uh, on the Cape Flats and in the Western Cape, yeah. On the occasions, my parents used to drive along Deval Drive. They used to point to the island and say, that's where the leadership of the country is. But specifically and fast forward, post uh, the release, and particularly whilst on the ANC's election campaign in the Northern and Western Cape, I accompanied him to those areas. And then more specifically, In January 1995, I was appointed to the executive as Deputy Minister for Welfare and Population Development. And in 1996, I was the youngest cabinet minister Mm. as Minister for Welfare and uh, Population Development to the cabinet of President Nelson Mandela. So uh, you, you pointed to your high school days. This is when in Livingston. 
That's right, Livingston High School. So you did your homework, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yes, yes, ma'am. Uh, so uh, when 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 you were doing that, was it because you were already conscious? Because it would appear as though uh, quite early in your years, uh, you had some in information from your grandmother who was feeding you with unionized mentality and all of that. <laughs> Yes, indeed. My grandmother was a trade unionist and she was actually uh, responsible for uh, forming the first uh, trade uh, union um, in Rondon Fireworks, uh, a factory. Um, and in essence, I mean, their fight was against wages, looking at uh, safety clothes because they were working with... Um, explosives that were used in firecrackers. And this Rondon Fireworks factory was the factory that later became the, the Nulls, uh, uh munitions factory, you know. So my granny was there, and my mother and uncle used to, through my grandmother, distribute what was called the Spark and later new age and the various publications that kept on being banned yeah. as uh, a new editions would come out and they did so because this particular um, union was uh, one that would uh, put out christmas stamps and when they were selling these christmas stamps in the community they would leave uh, those community members and workers with a pamphlet and the pamphlet was one of these pamphlets. And this was from the then Communist Party of South Africa and the underground ANC structures. Yeah. So, yes, it was from my granny, whom I stayed with during the week, because my father was a principal out at the school for children in need of care that was out in Fora, Cape Town. Okay. So it was a bit far for us to go to school from there. Yeah. I want us to go back just a little bit because uh, my curiosity is how this would have happened because oh. we're told at the age of eight already uh, you were influenced by uh, some relative who was a member of the non-European unity movement who was forced to leave the country. <laughs> Now you're really surprising me. Yes, indeed. Um, there were two sides of it. So my uh, mother's younger sister, Selma Pinto, yeah. uh, became Selma Raval later, was uh, uh, engaged to James Raval, who was a member of the non-European unity movement. And in around 1967-68, he was awarded a scholarship to the Netherlands to do a PhD okay. in, he was a historian, researcher, and so on. And he was only permitted to do so if he would accept the exit to uh, have an exit permit to leaving South Africa, which means he could never return if he was to do this doctorate, which he did, and my aunt followed him. They got married in London and then went on to the Netherlands. And uh, my mo mother's youngest brother died in a car accident a few years later, and my aunt was unable to return 
to attend that funeral because she had joined and married someone who left on an exit permit and had become an exile herself to the Netherlands. So let's say discussions around the kitchen table, whether it was in Klipfontein, which was where my grandmother, the feisty matriarchal trade union, uh, trade unionist lived or whether it was at home, because my father's originally from the Eastern Cape, from a little town called Tsomo, and is also from a background where the phrases themselves comes from a very big mixed uh, background where you also had uh, family divided according to race, depending on where they were. And I think uh, growing up in such a family, there was no escape but yeah, to say yeah, yeah. that the endeavors want to build a social, uh, a just, uh, uh, equitable social order. Now, you, you were saying that your, your father would drive and then would point to the island, Robin Island, and say that's where the yes. leaders of the nation are, are imprisoned. And, and yet, uh, as young people, you're already having problems with African people, young people fighting with colored young people at your time, and you were one of those people who were uh, trying to bridge the gap there. Uh, so how did how did you get to appreciate the unity that's supposed to exist at that age if your peers were fighting black against colored? You know, I don't recollect the black against colored fight as presented because you spoke about Livingston High School. Yes. And that particular high school was one that also had a a student and in particular teacher, educator body that was very much influenced, as you said earlier, um, whether it's by the New Unity Movement, at that point the Unity Movement or the Teachers League of South Africa. And the school itself was one that looked towards alternate education. And we at Livingston High School had reached out to Fezeka High School. That was out in Guguletu. And then, of course, there was the German school in Cape Town. And there was a link between the three schools because there was almost a deliberateness to try and break down the imposition by the then apartheid government to try and divide these schools and kids from these schools along Mm -hmm. racial lines. Mm -hmm. Also at the high school itself, um, there were various uh, societies that were set up. And we, for example, had a history society that looked at history beyond the uh, curriculum that was then imposed through what we referred to at that point as so-called colored education or Bantu education or white education. And we said there was a need to understand what we called the alternative history for South Africa. And I think there was really uh, a desire to implant in the minds of us at that school as pupils and, and scholars the need to, to love, have a love for education and learning and looking beyond the boundary. I should also say that Livingston was a high school that my mother's siblings, the younger ones, all attended. So it almost became a tradition in the family 
for the younger ones to attend the high school. And it was because it was seen as alternative. It was seen as a better school. It was a school that framed uh, what South Africa should be differently and even framed what it was in a different way. Okay. And now let's, let's talk about what happened in Belleville because I'm trying to trace what would ultimately lead you to be so attracted to join the ANC later on. Um, uh, let's talk about your, your time at the, with the Belleville Association for Community Action. Um, how, how, what was the interaction there? You know, the Belleville Association for Community Action was, uh, uh, we formed that in, um, it was around 1978, 79, and it was, uh, you know, in the lead up to 1980. But this was also largely influenced by what is referred to as the fatties and money strike, yes. as well as the meat workers strike. And you know there are, we talk about leading forces such as Virginia Peterson and others who were part of uh, what was the, I think it was the Food and Canning Workers Union at that point in time. Yes. Um, because uh, I think fatties and monies fell within that um, category of unions. We were at, and I was at the University of the Western Cape at the time. I went to the University of the Western Cape. I got there in around 1979. I think I matriculated in 78. I didn't quite expect you to talk about me. I didn't know you had done all this homework, you know, so didn't look back at the facts. But anyway, we started the Association for Community Action because we felt that there was a need to form a community body in the larger Belleville South Glenhaven community because it was so close to the University of the Western Cape. It was uh, to increase awareness, to look at mobilization, around June 16 activities. It was also particularly making a link between students and workers. And this led to us engaging in activities that culminated in 1980 mm -hmm. with the whole education boycott in the community support for meat workers and the fatties and money strike. Yeah. Now, there was a particular decision for us to, in that particular instance, uh, to bring some public focus on this uh, meat worker strike. And we then decided on a campaign that was called Operation Lollipop. Now, Operation Lollipop was where students went into various supermarkets, full trolleys with red meat, going to a toll, getting them to ring it up, and then in the end saying, well, actually, we don't have money for this meat. All we have money for is a lollipop. It resulted in a arrest of quite a large number of students yeah. because I think this is where you saw capitals roll directly with the police. Mm. So um, Grand Bazaars at that point, I think, informed the police station. Police came, quella quellas were yes, behind. Yes, so yes. as we took these... Uh, trolleys to the toll, we were then frog-marched into Aquila Aquila at the back. But getting back to your question, 
The purpose of BACA, Belleville Association of, uh, for Community Action, was precisely to create greater community awareness, to look at community, university, student um, involvement and support in workers' struggles and community struggles and issues. All right. We're going to take a break and come back. And then um, th- this is why the, the reason why we're, we're taking this journey back in time is because when we are asking about Nelson Mandela, we want young pe- people to understand who this young lady is that decided in Zimbabwe she's going to join the ANC. And when we ask you about the ANC, we want to get a, the frame, mind frame uh, of state of mind you must have been or that have been cultivated throughout your formative year years to Come up now to the decision of saying, I'm going to join the ANC at your youth as a young lady. And then um, when, when you speak about Nelson Mandela, that is the context that I was hoping we're going to build. We'll take a break and come back shortly after this. Hashtag SAFM Headspace. Lines are open. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can do that right now. You can call us at 0891-104-207, 0891-104-207. You could send your WhatsApp voice note to our WhatsApp line. It's open and ready for you to send. 0614-104-107, 0614-104-107. We're taking your texts as well on 41391. Each text message will cost you one rent fifty. We're in conversation with one of our former ministers, Dr. Geraldine Fraser Munekedi. She's now Chancellor at the Nelson Mandela University. She's talking to us, trying to remember some of the historical aspects that led her to meeting and knowing about uh, the protagonists of all time, uh, the leader of many stories that we talk about in history, Nelson Mandela. And so we're speaking to her because she became, she ended up becoming the youngest minister um, uh, in the cabinet of uh, former president and late president Nelson Mandela. So uh, welcome back, Dr. Uh, Fraser Magid. Thank you very much once again for staying with us. So um, 1980, you move on. Later on, you join uh, the ANC in Zimbabwe way you work under Joe Gabi, you become an MK cadre, uh, you get trained in Angola, you get officer training at the military institute of uh, the former USSR, and then you go to Cuba for military training still. At which point did you get to meet for the first time Nelson Mandela? You know, the meeting for the first time was uh, post our return to South Africa. Um, and uh, I returned to South Africa in July of 1990 and was amongst, uh, I mean, not the first group, but amongst the earlier group of comrades who returned from exile back into the country. I, I came back uh, um, to set up uh, the legal structures of the South African Communist Party and work with the ANC, but before I go there, please indulge me. I'd like to make one reference because we're in July okay. and I want to talk about a close comrade of uh, the late President Nelson Mandela, and that's Joe Kabi. Yes. Because you know, July and 31 July is also the day of the. Uh, assassination of Joe uh, Kabi because he was assassinated in Harare 
1981 on the 31st of July. That's someone I worked with very closely and I also saw as a mentor help shape my future. So yes. I just wanted to make that reference. Um, let me fast forward and say that it was through um, the party structures and the work uh, with, uh, I worked uh, with uh, Comrade Joe Slovo first and then with Comrade Krasani and it was through that work that I also um, got exposed and worked uh, with uh, uh, Tata Mandela, with uh, the late President uh, Nelson Mandela. Uh, the interaction was uh, through a number of engagements. It was meetings that was there between them, where I sometimes came into those meetings uh, later. And yeah, I'm talking closer to 93, 94, uh, particularly the period of 93, 94. I used to um, also accompany the then uh, President Nelson Mandela as he went to, as I said earlier, both to the Western and Eastern Cape when he was interacting with local communities. You may recall that was at the point in time when there was a thing uncertainty as to the strengths that we as the then as the African National Congress had in particularly the Northern Cape. And, and what was quite remarkable was this uh, uh, determination uh, by uh, President Mandela to speak to people in their local language. And I know, and many South Africans have heard him talk in Afrikaans. And I mean, there were many instances where before, either the evening before or early in the morning, you'd really want to go through his um, intonation, I think it is, the way in which he articulates yes, words yes. to be sure that he says it properly. And, and he became much... Uh, uh, the language rolled off his tongue much easier later, but I know in the beginning okay. we used to say, but you've got to repeat it because it doesn't quite sound like the word you're trying <laughs> yes, to say. Yes. So there was that. But it was also very clearly once in government, um, you know, I had a great love for children, young people. And I think it's quite understandable because for a number of years, more than two decades, he never had direct contact yeah, yeah. with children, yeah. except for the one instance where we heard that his, uh, one of his grandchildren was smuggled in by Mamwini into Robben Island, as the story goes, okay. you know. Um, uh, so there was that issue of young uh, of children, young people, the interest in youth, but also his interest in education, yeah. the need to focus on education and the need for our young people and even older people to learn, learn, learn and never to stop learning. And this you saw both in his personal life as well as in uh, his political life and beyond. And I want to use a quote that he used. Um, and this is something that you'd see that he also had written in his own own handwriting. And I link this to knowledge and learning. 
And he said, it is never my custom to use words lightly. If 27 years in prison have done nothing to us, it was to use the silence of solitude to make us understand how precious words are and how real speech is in its impact on the way people live and die, close quotes. The reason I use this and not his normal education quotes is because, I mean, his love for education and the quotes are numerous. But this particular one looks at knowledge and education from a different perspective. We says, um, don't use words lightly, don't use uh, a speech lightly and how it impacts on the way people live and die. Because I think if you look at current day, there's, there's too much of this being used in a manner that doesn't apply knowledge mm. or education beyond book knowledge in a manner that builds society. And I think that's important. Yeah. Um, there's a lot else I can talk about. I can talk about uh, you know specific anecdotes when he went into community I can talk about anecdotes uh, in cabinet now let me tell you one thing I mean all of us were petrified or not petrified uh, petri, uh, petrify suggests here we were also just in our respect and regard of the leadership and the ilk of that leadership you knew you could never come late for meetings, yeah. any meeting. If you were more than 10 minutes late, just don't come yeah. or have enough of an excuse that yeah. when you come in, you can explain why you were late because he didn't accept uh, people, uh, uh, you know, disrespecting others just by the way in which yeah. they even yeah. dealt with attendance. Yeah. And I think that permeates through the way in which you work as well uh, uh, it reflects a work ethic in a manner that shows your respect not just for yourself but your respect for other people your respect yeah. for your family your respect for your community as well we we, we have a problem in south africa of, of youth apathy and i say this very hesitantly because we have since seen um an upsurge in youth activity in politics but we see nelson mandela engaging you as a minister a young person as you were but engaging you as a deputy minister and then a minister what do you think his his headspace where was his headspace when he decided to appoint you and has it anything to do with youth I think it's probably got everything to do with youth. I can't really fully talk about his headspace because I can't even envisage myself in his shoes. Yeah. But I think we must also understand that this was a decision that I assume was taken by a collective huh. and not just the individual because uh, President Nelson Mandela always, all, also always emphasized the issue of collective the leadership collective. Yeah. But the leadership collective did not at any point suggest indecision. It showed a decisiveness, but a decisiveness that drew on and was informed by a leadership that had the maturity to take decisions. So if you look at that cabinet, the cabinet of 1994, 
1995 onwards. And, 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 and this was actually, I think, at least over three cabinets um, that I can speak about uh, with some authority. Yes. Um, having been a participant in at least three cabinets. I think there was a very strong, or I know there was a very strong intergenerational element. So we had the older comrades. We had comrades of the like of President Mandela. We had uh, the likes of uh, Minister Alfred Nzor, the late um, Minister Joe Modisi, and then you had the younger ones because... Tito Mbuweni was a year older than me, or even slightly less. And then you had the Sydney Mufamadi was a year older than Tito Mbuweni. I mean, he's just about, I think, 18 months older than me. So, you know, you had the younger group, yeah. and there were a few of us. That included Trevor Manuel. He's probably about three years younger than me. Okay. Uh, older than me, sorry, not younger than me, older than me. Um, and so you had this generational mix. And, and through this generational mix, we also had, I think, uh, a, a collective that brought together different strengths. So um, we had uh, 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 colleagues that came from the trade union movement, and here, one would think uh, in those first ca- cabinets about the likes of Alec Irwin that had both uh, experience from an academic as well as a trade union background. You had people like Dr. Sibusiso Bengo, who was uh, academic, Education. intellectual, that had come in. Also, some of the older comrades, we had the likes of Dr. Kader Asmal. Yes. Dalla, Omar, um, Omar. Omar. Um, we also in the beginning, I mean, the first government was a government of national unity, where we also had people that were from the national party that came in. It was a very interesting mix that, because here you had protagonists together around the table, and we mustn't make it seem as though it was always easy, because there was different thinking and different approaches to issues. Yes. But we were working towards building a nation, and it was a first experience for all of us, uh, for those who came from the former apartheid state, they had no... uh, experience of a democracy, and none of them could claim to have had that experience. We came um, from the democratic trenches. We did not have an experience of governance, but we were going to build it. And if I can again go back to a quote by President Nelson Mandela, and I think it's appropriate to use it at this point, He said, and I quote, I knew as well as I knew anything that the oppressor must be liberated just as surely as the oppressed. A man who takes away another man's freedom is a prisoner of hatred. He's truly locked behind the bars of prejudice and narrow-mindedness. I am not truly free if I'm taking away someone else's freedom just as sure as I'm not free when my own humanity is taken away from me. 
the oppressed and the oppressor alike are robbed of their humanity, close quote. And I think uh, we were conscious of that. And we can't uh, pretend that during that first five years, the first 15 years, or even the first 20 years, that we've shaken off these shackles. Because I think we still, at moments, see an upsurge of the mentality of the oppressor, the mentality of the oppressed, the mentality of a man who's taken away another man's freedom. And I use man in the sense of man and woman. Yeah. You know, the fact that we've got to build a new society and to build a, a non-racial society is not easy. And it's something that we are still working on today. And it's not something that's going to be going to happen in one generation. So coming back to youth and youth activity in politics, it is not new. Yeah. Because I think if we also look at President Mandela's generation, they were the youth in the youth league of yesterday, yesterday yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. They were the youth on whose shoulders we stood coming forward. So as every group of youth come to the fore and they think they're the first, they must bear in mind there were others who laid the way before them. Yeah. You know, so there's no new road that has been untrod. It's the road ahead that's yet to be trod, uh, uh, that we've still got to, to tread, you know? And yes. I think that's what we've got to bear in mind. We've got to look at our past and not be either a historical or a political in terms of our uh, past, but we've also got to be bold as we look at our future, because at the end of the day, that's what uh, the leadership of President Nelson Mandela, uh, Umgov, uh, Governor Mbeki, yes, Raymond yes. Mflaba, um, Ray Alexander, uh, Lillian Ngoyi, and all the others who've come before us. They've not trod an easy road. We will not tread an easy road. And we must also bear in mind, as I've said um, at a meeting in Pretoria just over a week ago, I said the new dawn may be new in terms of the phrase, the endeavor, but the road is not new because we started that road way back. I think what we need to ensure, and we do this in memory of all those who've come before us, the Nelson Mandela's, the Joe Carbis, and the others, is we must ensure that we implement. The public service must be there, and public servants must be there to serve the people. All right. It's a choice. It's a calling. You're going to the public service. My, my time, my time is up. Uh, to be a professional. Yeah, Dr. Fraser, when I get my time is absolutely up. I didn't even look at the watch. I do beg your pardon. We need to end our conversation on this note. No, that's fine. Yeah, can, that's fine. Can I invite you when you come back to South Africa? Um, you, you drop by. We can have perhaps a, a conversation about you now and your work with the Nelson Mandela <laughs> Foundation and your time in politics. Can you agree with that? Uh, we can definitely do that. Lovely. No Lovely. problem. I'll have a I think I'll owe you that one. Thank you very much, Thanks. madam. I appreciate you coming through and talking to us.
That was uh, Dr. Gener- Geraldine Jocelyn uh, Frazier Mulekete talking to us. Uh, Stephen, I uh, do beg your pardon for taking your time. It's two minutes after 11, Mike.